Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study Podcast, taught by Pastor Kirk Hall. We pray that through this podcast that you would grow your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, please open your Bibles and follow along as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truths to your heart. You guys just grab your Bibles and get ready because we're going to do some flipping tonight. And we are going to continue our study uh, titled Beyond Calvinism, The Biblical Doctrines of Grace. Tonight we are going to be looking at what is known as unconditional or sovereign election. I prefer the term sovereign election and you'll see why I prefer that. And so we're going to jump in this really fast tonight because we have a lot of ground to cover. And when I tell you a lot of ground to cover, I mean from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We are going to look at Sovereign election tonight. We're going to talk about it as in detail as we can in an hour or so. All right? So buckle up. We're going to go through this. I'm plain and simple, if we were going to give this subject a, a, just a basic definition, we would say this, that sovereign election says that God chose before the foundation of the earth certain people from the fallen race of Adam to be objects of His unmerited favor, or His grace as we know it, these and only these would be saved, and all of them. We're going to see biblically why that is so. Now, we know this. Every one of these doctrines will build upon the other. We talked about total depravity, how we could not come to God on our own, how we were cut off from God and alienated and enemies, How there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who seeks after him. So because of original sin that came through Adam, handed down to all of us, we are dependent upon God's grace so that we can be saved. We're going to see that come to light today, I hope, as we travel through the Word of God. And I've already warned you, no need to say it again, but get ready, we're going to travel In fact, the first part of this, I thought about making it just one lesson, and I might regret that, or I might stop after the first point tonight and say, that's where we're going to stop tonight. We're going to pick up. But I think we can travel through it. I think we can talk about these things in a relatively quick manner. I want you to see some things tonight. You have that on your sheet. First and foremost, I want you to see that when we talk about the subject of sovereign election, you're talking about something that is biblical in nature. This is not something that some person just conjured up. It's something that you are going to see all over Scripture, especially in regard to soteriology or what we know as the doctrine of salvation. You say, well, Kirk, why do you use those big theological words? So that you can learn them, so that you can understand what they mean, so that you can see biblically why we teach what we teach and believe what we we believe. So I want us to look at that tonight. When we talk about unconditional or sovereign election, we're talking about something that is biblical in nature. The first thing I want to do is I want to look at sovereign election in the Old Testament. Because there are many people who try to deny sovereign election, that that God chooses those who He chooses simply because of His will. We're going to see how biblically true that is tonight. We're going to start with Adam. You guys remember way back in the garden where the dirt spoke to God and said, make me into a man? Oh, every one of us know that is not how it happened. We know that way back when God created Adam, 
God elected to create Adam by his own purpose and will. So we see sovereign election with even the first man. God chose Adam. It's that simple. Did you know God didn't need Adam? As many people think. Many people incorrectly think this, that God was just lonely and needed to create a man. God is not lonely. He needs nothing. The doctrine of the aseity of God says he's self-sufficient. He's self-sustaining. Why would he need anyone? The fact that we are created is a privilege, and it's a privilege afforded to us by his grace. Adam is the same way. God elected and created Adam. Did you know this? He also elected and created Eve, Adam's wife. Adam didn't go to God and say, God, I'm lonely. Create something for me. No. God and his grace and his love for Adam, what did he do? He then elected to create Eve from Adam so that Adam would have a suitable helper. Go back, read the scriptures. Nowhere does Adam tell God what God is going to do in regard to Eve. And then we press forward as we go through Genesis. I hope you've read through it. If you haven't, it's very interesting. Go ahead and take some time to do that. We come to a man named Noah at a point in the world where everything was so sinful that God made the sovereign decision to pour his wrath out on all of mankind, except, except for Noah and his family, his sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth, his wife, and their wives. Everybody else in all of creation suffered under the deluge, the flood. We've read about it. We learned about it when we were children. Noah didn't come to God and say, God, you're go- I know you're going to destroy the whole earth. Save me. And my family didn't work like that. Noah, basic, depraved sinner just like you and I, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's what Scripture says. Before he ever did anything, as far as picking up the first nail and the first hammer and the first piece of wood to build an ark, God graced Noah with God's sovereign election. God elected Noah. And... God elected to exercise wrath on the whole world except Noah and his family. Sovereign grace, sovereign election, we've seen it in just about every children's Bible story that we've covered so far, haven't we? Let's keep moving on. You remember a man named Abram. You remember when Abram came to God and he said, God, make me into a man named Abraham and create from me a mighty nation. You guys remember when that happened? If you say yes, you don't know how it happened. Abram, a pagan, was elected by God to become the father of God's people, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. God sovereignly chose and elected Abram and made him Abraham and fulfilled and is fulfilling every promise that he has ever made to Abram. God sovereignly chose not only Abram, but his son Isaac, because it was God's will that the lineage of Christ, the promise, come through the seed of Abraham, which was Isaac. We know that then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. If you go back to that story, we know this, that Esau was the oldest. He should have been the birthright. However, Before the twins were ever born, God sovereignly 
and unconditionally elected Jacob to be the one. Now, was it because Jacob was such a good guy? Right? For all the people who say God looks into time and sees someone make a good decision and then he bases his election on that, was Jacob someone who you would look into his life and say, yeah, oh, he's worthy of election? Well, absolutely not. Even his own very name was the conniver, the supplanter. But God unconditionally elected him for his purpose. Then we move through Scripture as we continue on in the Old Testament. God elects a man named Moses. In fact, when you start seeing this come to fruition in Scripture, Moses was just a baby. You see the providence of God and how God worked out every little small, minute detail so that Moses would be where he needed to be at the right time to be exactly who God had already preordained Moses to be, the one who would deliver his people from captivity there in Egypt. Moses was elected sovereignly by God. Right? Why, not, why are we not screaming, why not another? Surely there were others there who could have done a good job. Maybe so. But they were not the ones that God chose for his people to be led by. It was Moses. And then we see the nation of Israel in general that God continually raised up as a people for himself. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, it says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you, talking about Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. He said, God didn't choose you because you had something to offer God, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He said this, God didn't choose you because you had something to offer. God chose you because God sovereignly elected to choose you and to pour his affection and his love upon you. So the Old Testament is riddled with these examples. We can move through it and see them so clearly. Joshua, how about that? When it was time for Moses to die, there needed to be someone who could be Moses' successor. And so what they did was they had a, a big rally, and all of the candidates got up, and, and they gave a speech. And whoever gave the best speech and had the best financial plan, the best ideas... That person became the next leader, right, through the election process. After it went through all the electoral college and all of the, the, the voting day, voting booths and all the things that are... No, none of that happened. It was no one's choice but God's. God sovereignly raised up Joshua to be the one who followed Moses. We see sovereign election, unconditional election all throughout the Old Testament. Let's don't stop there. What about David? about David the king? Oh, we, we could study the life of David. And in fact, if you studied the life of David, you would realize very quickly that everything in David's life was because of God's sovereign election of David. It wasn't because David was better than anyone else. It was because God set his affection upon David. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? Because God loved David first. Isn't that how John tells us that it works? We love because he first loves what? 
us. It's God who initiates these things by His own sovereign will and election. David being that one, if you're one of the people who attend Enrich, we're studying First and Second Samuel right now. You're going to get through with First and Second Samuel, and you're going to realize, yes, David was sovereignly elected by God to be the king. Why? Because God already had a plan to bring Christ, the Messiah, through the lineage of David. And everything was worked out according to his good, pleasing, and perfect will, just as it always is. What about Solomon? David's son. He was not David's only son, was he? No, absolutely not. But he was sovereignly chosen by God. Why? To build the temple for the Lord. And he did. And God used him to be a wise man, gifted, bringing glory to God. And God saw that that happened. We move in the Old Testament to the major prophets. We can go to Jeremiah, we can go to Isaiah, we can go to Ezekiel, we can go to Daniel, all of them sovereignly elected by God. None of them came to God and said, hey God, make us prophets. We get to the minor prophets, the same thing. In fact, Amos said when he spoke to Amaziah, he says, I wasn't a prophet, nor was I a prophet's son. I was a worker of the field. I was a farmer and a herdsman. And God called me to this. God did the sovereign electing and the sovereign choosing in the Old Testament. We could go on and talk of stories such as Jonah. If you don't believe in God's sovereign election, go read the book of Jonah. When you get done, read it again. And by the time you read it two or three times and you still don't believe in sovereign election, you have just determined in your mind you're not going to believe the Word of God. Was it God's will that Jonah go to Nineveh and preach a revival? How did that work out for Jonah? when he tried to disobey. And didn't God ultimately work it out in the end? Yes, he did. And didn't the people who God chose to save, weren't they saved from his wrath through the preaching of Jonah? Was it because Jonah was a perfect guy? No, Jonah was a rebel just like you and just like me. But God sovereignly chose to use him for his purpose. God sovereignly elected Jonah. We could go through the Old Testament for hours I won't make you endure that, though it would be fun. We could go through it for hours and hours, example after example after example of men and women and boys and girls that God sovereignly chose for His purpose. We see very clearly with the examples that we've looked at tonight, sovereign election was not something that's limited to our day and our thinking. Sovereign election is not something that John Calvin came up with on his own. Sovereign election is seen way back in the Old Testament. From Genesis all the way through to Malachi. You can't deny it. It's there. I encourage you. Just dive into it. Look at those stories, those studies on your own and see. All of these men, these examples that we've seen tonight, all sovereignly elected by God. So we see sovereign election in the Old Testament. Secondly, I want us to see sovereign election in the New Testament. New Testament, we see it very clearly. In fact, Peter speaks on the subject in his life and his ministry. Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied here at Pentecost while he's preaching, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because of what Christ has done for you. He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children 
And for all who are far off, watch this, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Who does the calling? The one who does the electing. And unless you are elect, you will not be effectually called. He lets us know there that the gospel message is preached, repent, believe in Jesus Christ. But sometimes that's going to fall on deaf ears. But when it falls on the ears of the elect, they hear his voice, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, and they obey him. Why? Because his sheep hear his voice. And that's what they do. They obey. Peter there at Pentecost preaching this, also teaching it in his epistles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says this. We'll talk about this little section of Scripture several times tonight, but this is the first. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Who's he writing to? The church. The believers. He doesn't refer to the world as the elect. Why? Because the lost world is not the elect. The church is the elect. He writes to them, God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been, watch this, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. If you're not Trinitarian in your beliefs, there you go. You're Trinitarian now. He said, the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for, the, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What was happening there? Father, Son, Holy Spirit working in one accord for the elect, the chosen. Peter makes sure that the church understands that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this about the elect. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. You're a chosen people. And you're chosen not by yourself, by your own decision or decree. You're sovereignly elected and chosen by God if you were a believer. First Peter chapter 2, he continues to teach these things. Second Peter, excuse me, chapter 2. He teaches these things, chapter 1, excuse me. Therefore, brothers, 1.10, be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure. Why would Peter be telling those people he's writing to to make their calling and election sure if it was them doing the choosing or the deciding or the electing? No, he's saying, make sure that you truly have been effectually called by God and you truly have been elected by Him, that you have not fallen into easy believism and into the trap of false assurance. He says, for if you do these things, you will never fail. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. We move to Paul. And we could spend all evening, those of you who did the Roman study, there's really no need to do that. We know where Paul stands on this issue, but we'll reference some things. We know that Romans chapter 8, chapter 9, which we've covered and will cover again many times, we know that Paul teaches sovereign election, the unconditional election of God's people in those two chapters. Romans chapter 11, we see him teaching again the same thing. He says in 11 verse 5, he says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. There it is again, chosen by grace. Who does the choosing? God and His sovereign election, chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. He's letting us 
Understand that if we do anything to earn or deserve salvation, it's not grace. If you're thinking that there's anything of your own merit that will save you, you are absolutely wrong. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God and not of works. Why? So that no man can boast. 1 Corinthians, we'll move from Romans since you're familiar with that, but let's move to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. There it is again. He's calling the believer. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chose, God chose, God chose. Can you make it any clearer than that? It's God who does the choosing and salvation. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul teaches this. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Paul said, God called me before I was even born by his grace, and it pleased God to reveal his son to me. It's the same way it works in all of our lives. For the foundations of the earth, you were chosen. We're going to see that ever so clearly in just a moment. I think we're going to get through this and get to go to the second part, maybe. We're still just talking about Paul. How about Thessalonians? How about Ephesians? Right, Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to study Ephesians, so I'm not going to go there tonight necessarily, but I might. Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chalked full of teaching that says that we are sovereignly elected by God's choosing. Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. He's writing to the church, and he says, we know that God has chosen you. He has set his affection upon you. It's evidence in your lives, your faith, your repentance, and your good deeds. Paul teaches on sovereign election all throughout the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Go back and look at that. We'll look at it extensively in a moment. James, half-brother of Jesus, watch what he says. James 1, 8. 18, excuse me. He says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Who chose? He. It's a capital H there. Letting us know that it is God in Christ who chose us. James doesn't stop there. James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, he says, Has not God chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Why would a sovereign God, we established that in our first lesson, the sovereignty of God, why would a sovereign God not be sovereign in his election and the choices that he makes? It's interesting that man constantly wants to limit the sovereignty of God to man's own decision. God is so much higher than that. James makes sure that we know that. Paul's made sure that we know that. Peter makes sure that we know that. John well, you can't talk about sovereign election and not talk about John. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about the children of God. And you know what he says about them? They're children born not of natural descent, 
nor of human decision or a husband's will, not by any decision that a human being can make, but born of God. It's John chapter 3 where Jesus is having that discourse with Nicodemus and John records that where he says you must be born again. You must be born of God or you can't see the kingdom of God. It is God who brings regeneration and rebirth to his elect. John covers that very clearly. We see many references in John's epistles, but for the sake of time, we won't look at those tonight. We'll see those throughout the rest of our study. But in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, chapter 17, verse 8, John, the writer of the Revelation, it ought to be somewhat familiar to most of you men. It was the last study that we went through in our men's study. But in Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 17, John gives reference to the book of life. And when he gives a reference to the book of life, he mentions the book of life as a book where men's names have been written before the creation of the world. Look at 17.8. The beast which you saw once was now, is not, and will come out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. We see that toward the end. In Revelation 13, we see all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Many people try to say that that's talking about the Lamb being slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb was not slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb was slain somewhere around 33 AD. That's when the Lamb was slain. The names of the elect have been written in the book of life since before the creation of the world. It's consistent with the other teachings in the New Testament, which we've already referenced, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2. John, definitely one who taught in the New Testament on sovereign or unconditional election. How about Jude? Another brother of Christ, Jude in Jude 1, says this, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Did you know? When we see called in the New Testament, it is referring to the effectual call that comes upon God's chosen elect. We see the sovereign election in the Old Testament. We see God's sovereign election in the New Testament. And again, many of you are probably sitting out there right now, and I hope that you are, saying, I've got another one. But I just thought of another one. And I remember this one that I memorized. That's fine. I can't cover them all. Let's move to the next thing, sovereign election and the teachings of Christ. What did Jesus teach about this? If you've been here any amount of time on a Sunday morning, you know that we went through the Gospel of John for a long time. If you go through the Gospel of John, the doctrines of grace jump off of the pages constantly. And Jesus taught sovereign election. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is talking about spiritual rebirth here. And he's saying it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. It is a monergistic act of God according to his sovereign will and sovereign election. John chapter 6, Jesus makes it very clear. In fact, what I want you to do is turn there in your Bible to John chapter 6. And if Jesus ever taught on sovereign election, it is so clear here in John chapter 6, verse 37. He says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How many will come to him? All that the Father gives him. Don't miss that in Scripture. It's very important. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You know what that is? Keep reading. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. How many of God's elect are going to be raised up at the last day? Say it with me, class. All. There will be zero vacant seats in heaven where someone belongs. All of those the Father has given to the Son will come to faith in the Son. He will not drive them away, but He will raise them up at the last day. Keep reading. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. He's saying everyone who believes will have eternal life. And you know who's going to believe? The elect. Those who the Father has given to me. He goes on. At this, the Jews began to grumble. Oh, don't people grumble when we start talking about the doctrines of grace, sovereign election. You ought to expect it. That's what they did when Jesus taught on the subject. They began to grumble. They began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? You know what they're doing? They're getting in their feelings. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody who wants to debate the doctrines of grace always debates it from a position of their feelings. Who does this guy think he is? We know where he came from. We know his mother and his father. They were thinking from a fleshly standpoint. They were in their human feelings. Watch what Jesus says to them. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Watch this, church. Pay attention to this, man. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How does he draw them? Through his effectual calling. Why does he draw them? Because of his foreordained election. He has already chosen them. At the appointed time, we know that he draws them and he opens their eyes to see the truth of who Christ truly is. Jesus here being recorded by John, teaching. But it's about God's drawing, God's choosing, God's calling. John chapter 10, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus again, 
saying that the Father has given those who will believe and have believed to the Son. Why? By His own choosing and election. John chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus speaking there as He's washing the disciples' feet, preparing the Last Supper. Watch what happens here. Judas in the room. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who have chosen me. Is that what your Bible says? Mine neither. He says, I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the Scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He's saying, Judas, I have not chosen. John 17, verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. All those who God has sovereignly elected for salvation will be given to the Son. John 17, 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And upon obeying their word, you know what they prove? They are God's elect. Jesus even knew that and taught that. John 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. Jesus praying for his disciples. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they. How many of them? Those he's given. And who are those that he's given? Those he has elected. He says, you've given them to me, for they are yours. Now, what does that mean? Well, when he speaks of he's not praying for the world, it means obviously what we're saying that it means. Not everybody in this world is chosen and sovereignly elected by God. Only those that the Father has chosen to give to the Son. Jesus makes this very clear in his teaching. John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. What is he saying? He's saying you've given me this group of people. My desire is that they be with me. That they share in the love that I've shared in, the love of the Father. How amazing is that? Matthew chapter 11 the last example of Jesus that we will look at tonight, and then we will try to hurry through the rest if possible. Matthew chapter 11. Watch what Jesus says. All things, verse 27, have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, many people neglect to read that. They only read verse 28, where it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many times have we heard people who were anti-doctrines of grace saying that there Jesus is giving just this blanket invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. They neglect to read verse 27, where He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
So when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you know who's going to come? Those who God chooses to reveal himself to. Them and them alone. Jesus teaches on sovereign election in his teachings while he was here on this earth. So we see that it is biblical. I don't think that you could leave here tonight, seeing the scripture that we have so quickly ran through, arguing whether sovereign election is biblical or not. Now, but I want you to see some more things about sovereign election. We'll cover what we can. Let's just do that. The second thing I want you to see is not only is sovereign election biblical in nature, it's based on God's will. This is where it starts. God's will. Not man's will. Not man's desire. Aren't you thankful for that after learning about total depravity? After I learned about total depravity, the fact that I choose sin every time because it is my very nature and bent. I am thankful God didn't just leave me in my sin. You see how big grace becomes when we understand the doctrines that surround grace? This is based on God's will, His predetermined will. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we see the Trinity working in salvation again. The Father electing. The Son giving the atonement. The Spirit working in power in the lives of those who are the elect because it is His predetermined will. It's interesting that so many people think the atoning work of Jesus Christ was plan B. God's plan A was that man just do exactly what they're supposed to do, and it just caught God completely off guard. And he said, oh no, what am I going to do? Well, there's nothing left for me to do but send my son. How many of you understand it didn't work like that? Since before the foundations of the earth, God already determined his will. That's why it is pre determined will. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel. Before time began, this was all already worked out. Aren't you thankful for that? It, it makes me happy. You know why? Because I can't mess it up. That's when we throw that word unconditional election in there can't mess this up. It's God's predetermined will. And before I was ever a twinkle in my parents' eye, before the earth was ever created, God willed that this awful, wretched scoundrel would hear the gospel and believe and repent of his sin and be saved. And he worked every single detail out in accordance with his predetermined will. The night I was saved was no accident. In eternity past, that whole event was planned out in the mind of a sovereign triune God so that at that very moment, I would share in the salvation that Jesus Christ paid for me to have. This predetermined will based on 
God's will. Sovereign election is always based on God's will. His predetermined will, his prescribed will. I like this word because we understand prescriptions. It's prescribed. It's very important that we see this. This is not, again, an afterthought. 1 Peter chapter 1. I told you that we would get back to this many times, but he says again, let me remind you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. See that this was prescribed by the hand of God for the elect. Salvation is prescribed will. In fact, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. The apostles there preaching. It says this, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They heard the preaching of the word of the Lord. They were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. And watch what happens next. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. You know, there were some standing in that crowd that day who were not appointed to eternal life, who did not believe. You want to know who those who aren't elect are? Those who don't believe. You want to know who the elect are? Those who do believe. That's how we can know. That's how we get a glimpse into the, the magnitude of the mind of God. But it's all according to His prescribed will. There, there in Acts chapter 13, while the apostles preached, there were already those who were appointed that day to hear that message. I remember I walked in that church. I thought I was going there for a whole nother reason. But that day I had an appointment. An appointment with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Where He applied His sacrifice to my life. Where He justified me according to the Word of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He gave me the power to repent. The faith to believe. Why is it so important that we see it's Him doing all of this so that we bow down and we give Him the honor and the worship that He's due? Kirk Hall did nothing that day. Truth be told, you know what I was doing? Following the lust, the cravings of my flesh. I went to church because there was a cute girl there. I'm going to talk about God's grace. He saved me that day, and she's still my wife to this day. Why? Because He had a prescribed plan, perfect will. Perfect plan. Brings us to the next thing in regard to His will. His perfect will. God's sovereign will and all of the decisions that we see throughout time. Eternity past. We see in time. All of those things are perfect. And they will accomplish exactly what God desires that they accomplish. Job says this. Job 42.2 I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. His will, perfect. No one can mess it up. Man, I'm so thankful for that. Because if anyone could have messed it up, this guy could have messed it up. But no one can mess it up. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Whatever He pleases. Psalm 135.6, the Lord does whatever pleases Him. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. It is His perfect will that pleases Him. He does as He pleases, how He pleases, with whom He pleases, whenever He pleases. Isaiah 46, 9-11, through 11, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like Me. That's why this is hard for us to really fully comprehend. There's none like Him. 
He goes on, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Do you think this sounds like a God who doesn't sovereignly elect people to salvation, but he just stands by begging them to please choose him? From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. His will is perfect. Why? Because he is perfect. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Who's going to question God? Isn't it interesting that Daniel says this, but there are many people today questioning God? Why would God choose some and not others? I'm not big enough to ask that question. In fact, that's out of my league, way above my pay grade. I don't get to ask God those questions. It's his perfect will that decides those things. And why would God's will not be an important part, in fact, essential part, in working out the salvation of the elect? Everything else under the sun falls in accordance with God's will and will not be thwarted. But man, for some reason, wants to then take salvation and say, well, this works a little bit differently. I'm here to tell you today that no, it doesn't. The sovereign election is based on his will, and his will is perfect, and his will will not be thwarted, and everything that he desires to happen will happen exactly the way that he desires it to happen. It's all about his will. Sovereign election is based on his will. Thomas Watson said this. He says, Let us then ascribe the whole work of grace to the pleasure of God's will. God did not choose us because we are worthy, but by choosing us, he makes us worthy. What a statement. The whole thing, the whole work of grace, the whole work of salvation, let's ascribe that to the will of God. The will of God is perfect. He works it out for His pleasure. We see that this sovereign election, unconditional election, is biblical. It's based on God's will. Number three, it's not because of your decision. Not because of your decision. I want you to write that down. I want you to understand that. Because every time that you think this is about you, you steal God's glory. I don't want you to fall into that trap. I don't want you to be men who steal the glory of God. If it is 99% God and 1% you. If it's 99.99% God and 0.001% you. You have stolen the glory from God. Please understand that. To many people, that offends them. I'm just telling you what the Bible has to say about this topic. That you are not saved and elected because of your decision. Many people like to say this. They like to say that foreknowledge is God looking into time, seeing that you made a good decision, and because you made a good decision, God says, I agree with that. Any way you want to flip that, manipulate it, work it, wrap it up, any way you want to do that, it's work salvation. And it's no longer grace. And you honestly might as well take the Levitical law and try to live that out and see how unsuccessful you are. It's not because of your decision. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
says this, verse 8, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. This, of course, is Paul saying this. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Watch this. Pay attention. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. Here it is again. Before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It can't be any clearer than that, man. It's not because of anything that you could have done or have done. It is because of God's grace in electing you to salvation. Salvation was because of your decision. Again, not some sovereign act of God, some unconditional act of God in electing you. It would be work salvation. No matter how you try to work it, it always comes back to being works. Any salvation that is not built on the foundation of God's sovereign election ultimately becomes works salvation. You have to do something to get it. You have to do something to keep it. It's always about you doing something. Now, we learned in our lesson on total depravity. That puts us in a really tough spot, doesn't it, guys? Yeah. Because we can't do anything good. But aren't you thankful for the grace of God that He's good to us when we don't deserve it? It's not because of your decision. Why? You couldn't choose. You couldn't make the right choice. We covered it last week. Talk about it again. Romans 3, chapter, I mean, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Very familiar. What shall we conclude? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. It's not because of your decision. You couldn't make the decision. You couldn't choose God. You were chosen. If you're a believer here today, you are chosen forever. His elect. Ephesians chapter 1. I told you I would try not to go to Ephesians, but I'm going there. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Watch this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us. That's for all the people who say, well, well Calvinism just doesn't seem like love. When you, when you preach unconditional election, where's the love? Right there, in love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I told you. It's based on his will. It's based on his good pleasure. What a privilege it is. The praise of his glorious grace, Paul says, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You were chosen. You couldn't choose him. It's not because of your decision. It's not because of your will. It's not because of your choosing. It's his. And God is consistent in how he chooses. I want us to see that. How many of you believe we serve a consistent God? 
In fact, we serve an immutable God. That means this, theologically, he never changes. If he works a certain way in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he works that same way in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the epistles of Paul, the epistles of John. He's still working the same way in our day today. He still does what he does exactly the way that he's always done it. Why? He doesn't change. In fact, in Malachi, he says that, I, the Lord, your God, do not change. It's important that we see that, and we see this very clear in a passage of Scripture that's really going to, I pray, seal the deal for any doubters who are here today, doubting sovereign election after seeing all the scriptural evidence of it, but maybe you're still here. But I told you First Peter chapter 1, we would come back to it many times in this lesson. I want to go back to verse 1 and 2 just for one second. As we talk about how God has chosen us, in fact, John's gospel, John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus made that very plain, didn't he? You did not choose me, he says to his disciples, but I chose you. To me, that ought to end the argument of sovereign election there, right? When Jesus looks at his disciples of the day and says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He was reminding them, putting them in their place where they needed to be. Thankful that he reminds me of that from time to time. It's not about you, Kirk Hall. This is about me. I chose you. You didn't choose me. We get to 1 Peter, and we're going to see some interesting thoughts here. 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, Peter, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If you say that sounds familiar, that means you were paying attention the other two times that I've already said this. He says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, he's saying that we are chosen based on the foreknowledge of God. Now, what the people do who are opposed to the doctrines of grace, who are opposed to sovereign election, no matter what title they want to dub themselves or we want to dub them, let's just call them the people who are opposed to the Scriptures. What they want to do is this. They want to take foreknowledge, and they want to change the definition of foreknowledge. Right? Not that God intimately knew you in eternity past, and there's all sorts of theological arguments about exactly where this happened, right, in eternity past. It doesn't matter. It's in eternity past. It's not in time where you live and I live. There are many people who they don't like to, to think of God having prior intimate knowledge of all of us. And unfortunately, as you learned in the Roman study, that word foreknowledge is for intimacy. Uh, it is to foreknow us in an intimate way. God set his love upon us in eternity past. Now, many people will say when they read 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2, I've read their stuff, and they say this, that God's foreknowledge is simply God looking into time, looking at Jay's life and saying, Jay, at one point in time, is going to surrender to Jesus and choose Jesus and sing, I have decided to follow Jesus at the top of his lungs while he's making some decision of his own will. And God sees that and says, because of that, I'm going to go back in time and elect him, right? Now, we know that's foolish. We know that God doesn't have to work like that. But people will say that's what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, except for there's a big problem. Here's the big problem, and I want you to see this in, in reference to what I'm talking about now, and that is how consistent God is in his election. Now, we drop down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Now it's talking about something a little bit different, but watch what he says. Verse 19, 
He's talking about Christ and our redemption and the way that we are redeemed. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's how we, re we are redeemed, a lamb without blemish or defect. And watch what he says about Christ in verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now, let me ask you this. If we take the hermeneutic of those people who are opposed to the doctrines of grace, opposed to sovereign election, who try to say that 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2, they try to say that foreknowledge is and choosing is God looks into time, sees you're going to make a good decision, and he chooses you based on your good decision. Now, we have to apply that because it says the exact same thing about Jesus just a few verses down in the same chapter. It says that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. Now, let me ask you this. Jesus, who was foreknown and chosen by God, did God look into time? The Father looked into time, and He saw a man on a cross dying for no apparent reason. And He said, you know what? He seems like a pretty good candidate to save the world. So because He did that great act of dying on the cross, I am going to now retrofit that in eternity past, and I'm going to elect Him to be the Messiah. No, we know that it didn't work like that for Jesus in verse 19 there, in 20. So we obviously know that back up there in verses 1 and 2, that's not how it works with us. Why? Because God is consistent in everything that He does. He never changes. What God does is He has the ability to do things that you can't fully comprehend, but we can see them in Scripture as we really dive into the Word of God. God does this. In eternity past, He set His affection on Jay. He said, I'm going to save Jay. I'm going to love Jay. I choose Jay, Jay Maddox, as my own. And then everything in Jay Maddox's life leads him to Jesus Christ. Every good thing, every bad thing, every trial, every success, every failure points Jay Maddox to Jesus Christ. Why? God chose him to be his. See how that works. We can't interpret one passage of the same chapter one way and the rest of that chapter another way and think that we have any good hermeneutics at all. We see that. God is consistent in how He chooses. It's not because of your decision. It never has been. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, not in the teachings of Christ and not in regard to your own salvation. It's interesting that people think, oh yes, God's sovereign. Oh, mm -hmm, yes, He is. Oh, I saw what He did there in Noah and the ark and the flood. Yep, okay, He had the right to do that. But He doesn't have a right not to choose my cousin Ricky who lives in Omaha. And I don't think that would be fair of God if He didn't sovereignly choose Ricky. Do you really want fair from God? Because fair from God would be this. I and everyone else in this room who we learned last week are totally depraved because of sin. Would spend an eternity in hell under the wrath of God paying for my sin. Well, I'm so thankful for His sovereign grace, for His sovereign election. Now we dive a little deeper and I will hurry. But chance made us late. Last thing, number four. Sovereign election is the beginning of salvation. Why do I say that? Because I want you to understand election is not salvation. 
but it allows salvation to happen. Because until there was an atonement made, without the shedding of blood, there was what? No remission of sin. Christ had to come according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and he had to come to this earth when he did and die the specific way that God designed that he would die on a cross as a sacrifice. And there are lots of other elements that are included there. We're going to look at them. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. We're not going to reference any more scripture tonight. I don't think. I might. Romans 8, chapter 28 through 39, defines some things for us and how election is the beginning of salvation. Romans 8, 28, 29, I mean 28 through 39, it says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Why do they love Him? They've been called. He has placed His love upon them. For those God, pay attention to this, foreknew, He also predestined. And we talk about predestination. That's where we began to see election clearly. He foreknew us and He predestined us. That means He destined us unto salvation before, right? Pre, we know what that means. We've known that since we were in grade school. He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. I'm going to stop there before we read the rest of this, but I want to break that down for you. The beginning of salvation being God's sovereign election. Sovereign election sets salvation in motion. 29, the first part, for those God foreknew, He also predestined. Sovereign election sets salvation in motion. So when was salvation set in motion for me, for you guys who believe in this room? Was it set in motion when you were a child? Maybe a teenager. Maybe a young adult. No, it was set in motion in the mind of God in eternity past. He, through His own will set this in motion. Sovereign election sets salvation in motion. Now, sovereign election serves in accomplishing God's will. I told you, God's will won't be thwarted, right? I'm not going to mess it up. And so what sovereign election does, it serves in accomplishing God's will. God's will could not be accomplished in salvation without sovereign election. Why? God has to elect us. Spurgeon said, I know God chose me because I would have never chosen Him. He understood the Bible. He understood His total depravity. So we see that sovereign election serves in the accomplishment, in the accomplishing of God's will. Verse 29, the second part, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to conform to the likeness of His Son. So when we look at what is God's will in salvation? It makes it real simple right there. That His people conform to the image of Christ. Is that not God's will for His children? Yes. So what is He showing us here in Romans chapter 8? He's saying that sovereign election sets salvation into motion. Sovereign election serves in accomplishing God's will. What's God's will? That we conform to the image of His Son. Thirdly, we see this in that verse, in those verses. Sovereign election secures salvation for the elect. I told you we'd get back to the rest of this. It secures our salvation. Without sovereign election, it could be messed up. 
without God's set plan and foreknowledge. It could be messed up. We could mess it up. I would surely mess it up. Aren't you thankful that we can't mess it up? That we are secure. Watch what he says. And those he predestined, he also called. He predestined us. We know in his predestination, that is where we see his election. Therefore, he elected us. He also called us. That is talking about the effectual call. The effectual call produces the effect. What is the effect? You conform to the image of Christ. You become God's. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's interesting about this, that whole section written in the past tense. It's written in the past tense. So he's saying, at election, you were as good as glorified. Wow. Then eternity passed in the mind of God through his foreknowledge, his election. Sovereign election. His unconditional election. I was as good as saved. He says, what shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, man, I'm getting any better than this. If God chose us and he's for us, who could be against us? Here's the answer to that. It's a rhetorical question. No one. No one's going to mess this up. He who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He's saying, you're my elect. You're my chosen. I've set my affection upon you. and There's nothing that anyone can do. Watch what he goes on to say. Look, look how secure we are because of God's sovereign election. If we remove God's sovereign election, we remove our security. Watch this. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who has the right to condemn? Christ, is he going to condemn you? No, he's interceding for you, the elect, the chosen. He goes on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. He says in verse 37, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He loved us. He chose us. He elected us. That's why we are more than conquerors. Not because you're a big macho tough guy. You were raised in the south. You hunt and fish and you wear a camo. No, it's because God set his love on you for the foundations of the earth that you were a conqueror. For I'm convinced, Paul said. In the context of sovereign election, I'm convinced. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able, able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're secure. Secure. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, said this, Oh, despise not election. Oh, despise not election. Therein lies all your hope that there is a remnant who shall infallibly be saved. What a great doctrine unconditional election is when we look at it in light of what the Word of God says. We are secure because of His sovereign election. We'll talk more about that security in the lessons to come. I want you to understand this. The elect, eternity past, are as good as saved. When they're born, they're as good as saved. Yet they're still lost until the appointed time where God then regenerates them, 
He effectually calls them. He justifies them through the gift of faith that he gives them. He adopts them into his family, etc. We know the process and the order salutis if you studied with us at any amount of time. They're chosen in eternity past. They're redeemed through Christ in time where we live. Where would we be without God's sovereign election? Are you thankful for that this evening, men? What a joy it is. How humbling it is. How worship-inspiring it is to know that God chose me. I ask myself 400 million times a day, why? Only to come to the conclusion, because he so chose to. I have nothing to offer him. I have nothing to benefit him. But yet he set his love upon me in Christ Jesus before I was ever born. Not because of any good in me. Not because of any good that would ever be in me but because of His goodness to me. We are so undeserving of His unconditional election. May we praise Him for who He is, for how He has chosen a people of His own. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray that it penetrates the hardest of hearts here today, that they would hear the truth, that You would spare them by Your grace. They do not know you. God, I pray for those who do know you here today. I pray that they fall on their face in humility, in appreciation, and in awe of the fact that you would choose wretched sinners like us, that you would apply the precious sacrifice of your Son to our miserable lives, that we would be forgiven and adopted and redeemed and raised up as vessels for your glory. Lord, we thank you so much for your plan of salvation, for allowing us to be your elect children. Thank you that all who you have given to the Son will come unto you, and you will drive none of them away. May those who you are drawing tonight come and be saved. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.